Welcome to episode 432 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a grand conversation with regular contributor, educator, fiddle player, chicken coop builder, and our resident historian, the illustrious Surf William. We talk with the Surf about how reasonable people have always had to live side by side with jerks. The intentions of our founding fathers, pretense of democracy, a history of class struggle, the liberal elite, values, among other things. A grand conversation with Surf William this week. We also have an EW essay titled Window, and we share some very compelling, sometimes humorous, statistics a la Harper's Magazine from their August edition's Harper's Index. And we have a poem called Senses. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 432 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
senses. There is music coming out of the TV room. My children woke up feeling the flu after their second COVID vaccination. No baseball, soccer, or ballet today. The upright piano needs another tuning. Give me a moment. I moved to the boys' room, and I'm sitting in their closet on some sort of gaming chair low to the ground that my sister bought them for Christmas. Let me resume. We are just over a third of the way into summer, and many are trying to make up for lost time. Perhaps we will see another baby boom. Lost time because of the means by which we sacrificed to temper the spread of the pandemic. Is the word sacrificed too strong, too dramatic, too self-important to use in this context? We are all just trying to live a good life within various senses of what that means, but I believe most want to be loved, secure, with purpose, and to have some fun. It is so odd to me how we get distracted from the simple, real pleasures and the genuine beauty within us and among us, all around us, in front of us. Isn't it amazing that the sun rises and sets, that the moon cycles through new to full, that rabbits eat the dandelions and poop little heaps of dark spheres in the yard, that the mail carrier brings magazines and postcards to your home from afar. We have so much that we don't realize and so much that we do not need that others dream they had, though it leaves us feeling empty and bad. Thus, I do enjoy the satirical depth of paperboy love prince celebrating with song how he made the governor mad.
once through and through. Surf William is <laughs> is that you? Tis I E W with a lot less stress and strife than the last time we talked. I'm going to put my earbuds in, but yes, it's me. That's great, you know, less stress and strife. I guess the medication is working. Um, yes, the medication is definitely working, and um, let's hope it's soon legal in all 50 states. <laughs> Uh, Surf William is uh, a regular contributor on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, I'm happy to say. He's an educator, a fiddle player, a chicken coop builder, among other things, and most importantly to us, our resident historian. So, um, yeah, it's, it's summertime, and uh, it's, uh, it's good to connect with you. I'm, I'm wondering what's on your mind. You sent me a couple of texts. It seems like you have a lot of good things on your mind. Uh, the first thing I saw uh, was reasonable people, you know, historical perspective, always having to live side by side with, and I'll use a different word than you did for the FCC, <laughs> jerks, always having to live side by side with jerks. It's a historical, uh, you know, uh, consistency, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, in the history of the of the United States and the founding of this country and the divisions that led up to the Civil War it, and right up to the modern day, it's always been the case. Uh, I, I just want to go off on a tangent for a minute. Hopefully, hopefully I can I can be somewhat coherent. Um, when we were when, during the founding of this country, there was a faction of the founding fathers that clearly saw the contradiction in in liberty and justice and 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 striving for the individual rights of man while simultaneously owning slaves so that was i mean the conflict is so obvious that it almost you know it's it's so clear like how can you talk about liberty and freedom and and the pursuit of happiness while you're enslaving other human beings and this did not escape a lot of the founding fathers and and the response to this very reasonable question of how can you talk about liberty and justice for all when you enslave other human beings was met with 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 um, not violent resistance, but the threat of violence. So there would have been no there would have been no um, unified front against the British Empire. If those who were opposed to the enslavement of other human beings stuck to their guns and said, we cannot be a a slave holding country that just it's 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 anathema to what we stand for. Uh, The slaveholders basically said, well, it's it's we're either going to be able to keep our slaves or there will be no union. There will be there will be no unified colonial um, front against the British. And that was always implied. And the founding fathers in the North who were not slaveholders understood that if they wanted to have a unified front and if they wanted to be able to pool all of their resources, they were simply going to have to accept what the slave owners demanded, which was the continuation of slavery. Um, There was an implicit threat there. If you don't do what we say, we're leaving. We will not be a part of this. Uh, 
Fast forward to the Civil War, uh, and I am skipping a lot by fast forwarding because there's a lot that went on between between our fight for independence from Britain and the outbreak of the Civil War in 1861. But let's just, for the sake of, of brevity, let's just fast forward to the Civil War. Uh, the southern states said they did not want a Republican president. And in particular, they did not want Abraham Lincoln, even though Abraham Lincoln made no indication at all in any way that he was an abolitionist. He was very vehement about stating that his role as president would be to keep the union together and to honor and obey the laws of the land. Well, slavery was one of the laws of the land. Lincoln never even intimated that he would have anything to do with emancipation, nothing at all. But the Southern states said, if, the Republic, if a Republican gets elected, or especially this guy, we are gonna have problems here. So Lincoln gets elected, and they immediately fire on Fort Sumter, withdraw from the Union, and form the Confederate States of America before Lincoln ever did, Lincoln never did anything. He never made any moves to free the slaves. There was never any talk of emancipation. It was simply that they didn't like him. Why not? And they, and they wanted to get their way. They were afraid. They were afraid because there were radical. Uh, there was a radical wing of the Republican, the newly formed Republican Party. There was a radical wing that that were abolitionists. But Lincoln made it very, very clear that he was very much a moderate, and that the issue of slavery. Uh, meant nothing to him as in his official role as president. Even in his personal musings, you know, he might have said slavery was a bad institution or, or it was morally wrong. Lots of people said that. Even there were even slaveholders who acknowledged that, that owning other human beings was, was somehow wrong, but it was a foundation of the economic system in the South. So Lincoln didn't do anything to threaten the uh, status quo. And still, the southern states seceded upon his election, even though he didn't do anything to threaten their way of life, which was basically founded on the enslavement of other human beings. So then you have this, then you have the Civil War with all of the propaganda that went along with the Civil War. You know, the Northerners are going to come down here. They're going to liberate black people. They're going to make black people our equals. Black people are going to take over. They're going to rape your women. They're going to degrade your society. There was all this wild propaganda that circulated through the South before, during, before and during the, the Civil War. Um, it's still there. Those messages are still there. Those messages are still there. Exactly. We're still fighting the Civil War, as you know. But my larger point was this. Um, these conservatives, because that's essentially what they were, these, these conservatives, these radical right-wing conservatives would give the pretense of negotiation and dialogue, but it was kind of like sitting down to negotiations with somebody who, before you start your talks, they pull out a gun and they put the gun on the table in front of them, with the implication being, you know, these talks better be, uh, better be pleasing to me or I'm going to, you know, I have this weapon here and I'm not afraid to use it. So, you know, fast forward now to the Trump era, uh, you have a politician and a party that clearly lost an election. They got crushed. They lost in a landslide. And instead of accepting the results, like most people do when they lose an election, they storm the Capitol. They foment an insurrection. They try to overthrow our government. Um, because their guy got 
defeated. Now we know that they're they're promulgating the great lie and all these things that the election was stolen and so forth, all of this nonsense that nobody can prove because it's not true. Um, but once again, you have the pretense of democracy, of voting, of negotiation, of conciliation. You have the pretense of that. But what happens is when they don't get their way, they are ready to use any extrajudicial means that they have to, to, to force their will upon other people. And it really is frustrating to me because you, there's never been good faith discussions between North and South, between right and left, between Democrat and Republican, because we've seen it over and over again. We've seen what Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham will do in the Senate. They will filibuster. They will cheat. They will disenfranchise. They will do whatever they have to do to win and ethics and morals and common decency be damned. And this is what the reasonable people in this country have had to deal with since before the founding of this country. There has always been a faction in this nation that demands its way with the implicit threat of violence if they don't get their way. Um, and that's not a, a healthy democracy at all. That's a dysfunctional relationship. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. And is is this the case in uh, Germany, in England, in you know uh, Chile, or in in Russia? Is is there always a faction? My point is, my question is, uh, no matter where you go to human society of jerks that will not relent, will not have good faith discussion, always have that implicit threat of violence and so on. I, I actually get a little bit of cold comfort from the fact that our nation is not the only place where there are jerks. Jerks exist in all cultures, in all countries, in all uh, uh, democracies. So, you know, I, that's a, that question I would answer by saying this. In Germany, you have a radical right wing. In Sweden, you have a radical right wing. In Denmark, you have a radical right wing. In the Ukraine, in, in Russia, you have a faction of the electorate, a faction of the populace, which adheres to radical right wing beliefs and ideology. So we do not have the exclusive honor of being the only country in the world with a radical right wing that really um, is not only not only doesn't encourage and, and strengthen democratic institutions, these factions are hostile to these democratic institutions. And these factions often imply that, in fact, if they don't get their way, they are ready to use violence to achieve their ends. Um, are these, you know, you don't have a Republican party like we have here in America. You don't have a party that big and powerful and widespread in other countries. You have a radical right-wing party in Germany, the alternative for Germany. Um, they represent a, a, a fraction of the electorate. Let's put it this way. In America, I like to say about a third of our electorate, one third, this is my rough estimate, about one third of our electorate um, is friendly towards right-wing ideas is you know a, th a third of our electorate uh believes donald trump won the election a third of our electorate believes that storming the capitol 
was not a terrible thing to do because they were cheated out of their rightful victory. You know, a third of our electorate does not believe in um, equal rights for transgender people, for for uh, uh, people of different religions, for people of different races. So, you know, you have about a third of the electorate that 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 adheres to these to what I consider to be abhorrent beliefs. Um, you know, you've got percentages in other countries, too, that, that you, we, we all know that. The right-wingers exist. Uh, they exist everywhere. Then you have another percentage of the population that doesn't have a really strong ideological foundation in any way, shape, or form. But they're ready to buy an argument if it sounds plausible, if it sounds feasible, if it sounds like a narrative that describes their reality, uh, even if the narrative upon examination turns out to be sophistry and turns out to be false, it still kind of makes sense to them and they lean that way. Um, so these are the people in our, la in our uh, uh, election in 2016. These are the Obama voters who voted for Trump. Mm. Right. Of which there was a certain percentage, I guess, of people who voted for Obama yeah. and then voted for Trump. Very odd. So they're the they're the kind of the undecideds. I've always I've always marveled at the undecided voter. I thought, don't you stand for something like how can you be undecided? Well, I might vote for Trump, but I might might vote for Hillary. You know, what do you I would ask that person, what do you stand for? You know, the ideologies couldn't be and the personalities couldn't be more different. So how is it you're on the fence right now? Like, what's it going to take to to help you to decide? So, you know, they probably they probably the fancy themselves as shrewd. I'm going to get what you know, I'm not going to just jump on to a bandwagon. I'm shrewder than that. But in essence, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't buy I that. guess so. I don't know. I, I'm always surprised by that. The first thing I'll say to my students when my students ask me a, a sort of innocuous question like, do you think so-and-so is a, is a good president or do you think so-and-so was a good president? And we'll start to define what it means to be good, what it means to be bad and how you, sh how those definitions are shaped by your personal values. So what I often say to my students is before I would answer the question of whether Ronald Reagan was a good president or Bill Clinton was a good president, I would say we need to sit down and talk about what our values are. And I can talk to you about my values and my belief system. And based on that, I can evaluate the performance of a particular president. Um, but I think that's got to be the preliminary step. You know, you have to know where you, the individual, stand on, on very fundamental issues um, before you can decide whether you like the policies of one candidate over another candidate. Well, I think, I think you're hitting on something. We're, we're pretty lost in that regard in terms of what we stand for as a as a society and as individuals oftentimes you know i i am i'm probably sounding like an old uh, guy who's who's troubled with the new generation you know or generations uh, that are coming up but it seems uh in my own generation though too you know we we really aren't deep <laughs> we we don't take the time to understand who we are as individuals and where we were where, and how we got to where we are as, as, a, as a species, as a society. And, and if we, we, we don't do those sorts of things, how are we ever really going to make good decisions? It, it's not completely our fault, though, because our, you know, that kind of training, that kind of education is sorely lacking in our public education system. So, you know, we don't teach kids about class consciousness, 
right? I mean, think about your education, your upbringing. Think about your primary education, K through 12. How many times did any teacher even talk about class structure and class consciousness and working class, ruling class, impoverished class? Um, in other countries, there's a stronger sense of... of Civics. Of, yeah. You know, here's the thing. We do learn a little bit about government and about how the government works. But the things we don't talk about too much are the the uneven dis, uh, uh, the inequities in wealth distribution, for example, or um, the policies that would be most beneficial to the wage laborer, to the worker and the policies that would be more beneficial to the to the to the wealthier classes. We don't get that training in our education. The only way you really develop a class consciousness in this country is to go out on your own sort of extra scholastic and do that research and determine and find out the true history of this country, which really is the history of class struggle over and over again. Because we don't have that training, because we don't have that um, aspect built into our educational system, people are very easily manipulated. That's my, that's my theory. So the worker will vote against his or her own interests because somebody made, a, um, somebody made an argument uh, using sophistry to get them to believe a narrative that really isn't correct. Amazon, it, the workers at Amazon. Where, where right? Was that? Yeah, right. I don't it remember. In Alabama? In Alabama, in I think. Somewhere down south. Yeah, yeah. again, down south again. Down south again. Yeah, I mean, you know, you see workers, working class people voting against their own self-interest all the time. All the time. It happens in every cycle. Um, what about the argument you know, that we're this condescending elite who doesn't believe people are smart enough to make their own decisions? And we judge a, them. Yeah, and you know, you just touched on something right there. That was uh, a, an argument whose construction and verbiage and and language was constructed very, very carefully to push all of the buttons of the average working person. So, for example, the the Republicans stumbled upon that idea of the liberal elite. I, that was probably during the Reagan administration. They started talking about the liberal elite. And what they wanted to convey to the average worker was, we, the Republicans, even though we are the party of wealth and power, we're on your side. We're looking out for you, wage earner. The liberals, the Democrats, the left, they're all a bunch of latte-drinking, effete intellectuals who live in the cities, and they're not connected to you the way we are. What the Republicans really meant when they said elite, what they really meant was intellectuals, educated people. And elite was a code word, which really for them meant, because when you think about it objectively, you know, Ronald Reagan was a member of the elite. Uh, Dick Cheney, George Bush, um, Donald Trump, they're all members of the elite. They're the wealthy they're the, they're the wealthy uh, uh, business owners. They're the ones who control the power in society. They control the wealth and they control the power. And yet somehow they were able to spin it to say that, in fact, they were the regular shot in the beer uh, at the local bar people. 
and the other side, which was fighting for workers' rights and minority rights and women's rights and equality. They're trouble. They're trouble. They're, they're, They're disconnected elites. And that rhetoric worked. You know, the Republicans are very, very good at shaping the narrative and spreading the lies and getting people to believe them. They're, they're, they excel. It still works, no doubt. And by the way, just to a point of clarification, that uh, union uh, situation with Amazon we were talking about was in Bessemer, Alabama. Alabama, yep. yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I was at a, a, a country club recently for a performance uh, that my kids were in. They, they rented a tent or they put a tent up at this country club. Uh, right by the you know the the field house or whatever you call it where they eat their dinner and stuff over the 18th hole, and um, we had the tent where and there was no room underneath the tent so I was wandering off with my children to a little patio area with around Adirondack chairs and some tables and my my kids were saying Dad I don't think we're allowed down there you know I said what do you mean we're not allowed down there I'm walking down there to sit on a chair and have some some uh, have my supper. You want to come with me? If they if they don't want us, they'll kick us out, and then they'll look like fools. And we went down there, you know, we sat and we ate, and sure enough, someone came to kick us out. And I just thought it was hilarious. And I was talking to the person, very apologetic. I said, "Yeah, you know, that's just the mentality. It's always been artists have been kicked out of places by those who have <laughs> wealth and power. It's just the way it goes." And she just looked at me offended. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, we could go down a whole other road talking about art and commerce. That's a whole that's a whole other thing altogether. But your but your larger point is correct. We are this is the problem with America. I think you I think you 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 hit on something here. The problem with America is we fancy ourselves as a class-free society. We fancy ourselves these Democrats who have leveled the playing field and and thrown off the chains of European class consciousness, you know, for some more egalitarian society where we're all in it together and we all roll up our sleeves together. Well, that's another great lie that's been perpetrated by the elite um, because we are an incredibly, incredibly class heavy, class conscious society. And and we we ignore that at our own peril. We continue to pretend that we don't observe the rules of class consciousness like those stodgy old Europeans always have done. In fact, it's even more dangerous in America because we have the, at least in Europe, they're very class conscious. People understand where they fit in terms of class structure and it shapes their thinking and it shapes their politics. In America, we've eschewed all of those ideas for this this false idea of egalitarianism and that allows our workers to be manipulated even more by the wealthy and the powerful how so well if you don't have a strong concept of where you stand in the class structure then you can be tricked into voting for wealthy country club republicans who claim to be looking out for your interests but in fact are um advancing tax policies that benefit corporations at the expense of the wage earner, um, that promote land zoning policies that allow factories uh, and waste facilities to be built in low-income neighborhoods. So in other words, if you don't have a strong concept of where you, sh- where you fit in the class structure, then you don't have any founding idea, any, any basic idea of what policies are in your interest. How else do you get a wage earner, somebody working three jobs, to hang a Trump sign in front of their double wide? 
Right. You know, how does that happen? How were they manipulated to believe that Donald Trump and his ilk represent them? You know, through a mix of racism, through a mix of ignorance, through a mix of carrot and stick. Like, like, yeah, you're poor now and you live in a trailer, but we all know that in America, if you work really hard, you're going to get rich. And someday you're going to be rich and you're not going to want to have policies in place that help poor people because you're not going to be a poor person. So people hold on to this myth and they believe that somehow they're going to transcend their working class their working class uh, 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 situation and somehow they're going to be in the country club pretty soon. And they continue to vote for policies that benefit the country club member to their own detriment. And let's not, yes, well said, Sir William. And let's not forget the influence of religion too. Absolutely. A lot of these things are used uh, as distraction um, and diversion to keep people from really understanding the issues and really voting in a way that best represents their socioeconomic interests. Yeah, and working together, seeing the commonality, the collectivism. You know, that group we talked about uh, a few times today of workers in, uh, in Alabama why didn't they see a majority of them? And they, I mean, that that vote was not close either. Uh, they cheated, but Amazon cheated. <laughs> well, of course they did. They um, cheated. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They How, did little things like, like, like this, is, this is what the right wing does. I'm sorry, I got a go. big oil truck at my neighbor's house making a lot of noise. This is what, this is what, this is what they do. They, they cheat and then they take the vote and then they say, ah, democracy in action. You know what they did down at that Amazon plant? They put the ballot box right in the front parking lot, right outside of the windows of the, of the supervisors and administration of that plan. So what that meant was, yes, it was a secret ballot, but the management could see you voting. So right there, that little thing, instead of a true, a true secret ballot where you drop your, where you hand in your ballot to somebody, they had a ballot box right in front of the factory where everybody could see you vote. Um, there's a subtle level of intimidation there. Oh, right? sure, sure. Because, because a certain number of those employees did not vote. I forget what the final tally was. You could probably Google it. But a certain number of the employees didn't vote at all. And the argument was, well, they didn't vote because they didn't want to be seen voting because they were afraid that somebody would see them voting and it would just bring up questions. And if they didn't vote at all, they would they were they, safe. No one, they're safe. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and also and they- Amazon spent loads of money, millions of dollars. And you can Google this too. millions of dollars to bring in people to re-educate. To right. To re-educate. Thank you. Exactly. Right. right. It's, yes. like, it's like North Korea, you know, or, or what have you, or uh, Cambodia or something, you know, you know, now, now look, what the Republicans, look, yeah, look what the Republicans are doing now across the country. We all see what they're doing now. They got crushed. Their policies are not appealing to the vast majority of the electorate. So instead of changing their policies, which any healthy party in a democratic system would do, what do they say? Let's just stop the people from voting who aren't going to vote right. for us. Let's right. just stop them. And that's what they're doing. Very troubling. Very troubling. Sir, Sir William, it's it's always a pleasure talking with you. We only have a few more minutes, believe it or not, uh, with this go this conversation, this go-around. Uh, 
We will figure it out, I hope, eventually. Uh, we have, I mean, I love this country. I know you do as well. And we will not be recast or framed as people who do not. The reason we love it, the reason we are so upset is because we love it. And, of course. Uh, and we're not going to have it taken away. The dream that this country is, you know, in our, in my mind, is is uh, established atop. A um, you know, but maybe... It's not a reality. I don't know. Maybe we're just romantics and, and uh, human. The sapiens can't transcend their uh, instincts you know, or their, their DNA. Yeah. I don't know. And we'll what see. I tell people and here, what I tell my students and what I tell myself a lot of times is this struggle has gone on for millennia. Um, it will continue to go on this class struggle. You know, it goes all the way back when I was when I was studying ancient Rome. Of course, I wasn't surprised at all to learn that a lot of the major societal conflicts that occurred throughout the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire were class-based. It was a question of distribution of wealth. And in ancient Rome, you had an incredibly unequal distribution of wealth. You had, you had a small minority that owned pretty much everything, and you had a vast population of workers that were basically excluded from sharing in the wealth of the nation. And we see what that leads to. We see the decay that that can, that that can cause. And we're seeing it in our, in our own societies now as wealth becomes more concentrated in the hands of a few. I see that as one of the major issues facing the world right now and leading to a lot of the other issues that are causing us such problems like, like, like climate change uh, and the degradation of our environment. Well, I expect by the next time we talk, you have all this stuff figured out, okay? And you could share with us those solutions. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing. I, don't, I, I would love to say I have all the answers. What I really have are like open-ended questions that I like to throw out there and just kind of, and just kind of um, let people ruminate on and come up with their own ideas of what the, what the correct answer is, even though there is no correct answer. It's very Socratic. Thank you so much. Surf William, I love you, brother. You. I love you. I love it. Is that it? Are you saying we're finished? We're f yeah, we have it's to move done. on to the next thing, but we'll be talking again soon. Enjoy right, the rest of the summer. You, I hope to see you in the flesh before the summer's over. Me that too. That would be really nice. Let's make it happen. All right, my brother. Ciao, my brother. Peace and love. I'll see you later. Bye.
And now some actual statistics as compiled and published by Harper's Magazine for their Harper's Index. This is the August 2021 edition. Percentage by which a U.S. conservative is more likely to want to travel to the past than to the future. 7. By which a U.S. liberal is more likely to want to travel to the future. 70%. Percentage of Americans who say their personality has changed over the course of the pandemic. 86. Who think they have become smarter. 70%. Number of new words that LaRousse is adding to its French dictionary this year. 170. Number of these words that are related to COVID-19. 50. Estimated percentage by which the COVID-19 death toll in the United States exceeds the reported figures. 55%. By which the worldwide death toll does, 122%. Chance that an American has a great deal, quote-unquote, or quite a lot, quote-unquote, of trust in the Center for Disease Control, CDC. That chance is 1 in 2, 50%. Number of individuals responsible for three-quarters of the anti-vaccine content on Facebook. Just 12 individuals. Percentage of U.S. employers requiring that their workers get the COVID-19 vaccine. 4%. Percentage of countries in which China's image has improved since the beginning of the pandemic. 56%. Percentage of adults worldwide who believe the United States is a, quote, threat to democracy, unquote, in their country, 44%. Who believe China is, 38%. Percentage by which the frequency of power failures in the United States has increased since 2015, 146%. Estimated amount of stimulus money that went to fossil fuel companies under the CARES Act, $8,240,000,000. Projected rank of 2021 among the years with the largest spikes in U.S. carbon emissions. Number one ranking. Estimated area in square miles of lost natural forest that has been regrown around the world since 2000. 227, 414 square miles of permanent tree cover loss over the same period. 583,014 square miles. Percentage by which the Brazilian Amazon rainforest released more carbon than it trapped between 2010 and 2019, 18%. Number of the 100 cities most vulnerable to climate change worldwide that are in Asia, 99 of those 100. Portion of cities worldwide that report 
lacking the financial resources to adapt to climate change, one quarter or 25%. Minimum number of major cities that have appointed chief heat officers to address rising temperatures, three cities. Percentage change in the number of divorces in China after it imposed a mandatory 30-day, quote, cooling off period. Negative 72% change. Percentage of fathers working from home who say that doing so improved their mental health. 71%. Of mothers, 41%. How about that? Actual statistics. Make of them what you will.
window. Wasp nest in a bush on the crest of my front yard. Three of the children have been stung so far. It is close to a window in the garage left ajar. Should I close it or witness and wait from afar? Perhaps while sipping a small cup of Turkish coffee, like I am at some exotic bazaar.
And there you have it, episode 432 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend, Surf William, Harper's Magazine, and these musical artists. Thelonious Monk, The B-52s, Kamase Washington, S.G. Goodman, Ray LaMontagne, Stevie Wonder, Brentford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. And, of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.